Broadcasting live to the world now, it's Sheila Zelensky. This is a very sinister Luciferian eugenics plan. These spineless weasels preach what people want to hear. They replace repentance with dreams of the good life. Mindless minions. Dying daily, taking up your cross. Suffering and sacrificing have been superseded with name it and claim it. And as dark as I know it looks out there, the good news is that God is advancing his kingdom. And it's very exciting to be a part of his great commission. It's Sheila Zelensky. The Sheila Zelensky Show, the only show to give you the truth behind the headlines, prophecy, and the deeper things of God. Now... Here is your host, End Time Watchwoman, Sheila Zelinsky. Hello, listeners, and welcome to the Sheila Zelinsky Show. Thank you for tuning into the broadcast tonight, folks. I broadcast Monday to Friday, that's weekdays at 6 p.m. Eastern Time, right here on Worldwide Christian Radio. And do not forget to sign up for my podcast. Go to WeekendVigilante.com and click on that big pink button on the right-hand side that says Sheila's Podcast. Sign up and you can listen to all the podcasts and add me on social media. That's Facebook, Twitter, and sign up for my YouTube channel. All those media buttons are linked there at WeekendVigilante.com. And also, join us every day in the chat. If you go to my website, there's a button towards the top right that says Join Us in the Chat. You can join me every day during the show. My guest today, you all know, he's a frequent guest on the show, Dr. Danny Morano. He's an amazing apostolic minister of the gospel from godisnotreligious.net, author of many incredible books such as The Sinner's Prayer Gospel, God Is Not Religious, Who Are the Aliens, and he's working on another one, and I can't wait for that one, The Counterfeit Church. What a timely book that is. And he joins me tonight to talk about the key that most Christians are missing when it comes to the climate of this dark world. Dr. Danny Morano, welcome back to the program. Thank you for coming on again. Well, thank you very much, Sheila. It's always great to be with you. Appreciate that. Well, Danny, one of the most amazing things, of course, we had happen in the last couple of weeks is the same-sex ruling came down. And there's a lot of things, of course, taking people's attention in this Luciferian world here. There's a lot of reaction, of course, to what happened. And, you know, it's so interesting. I like what you said recently on a show. There's a lot of reaction to what Satan did last week, what he's doing today, what he's doing next month. But what did the Holy Spirit do 2,000 years ago? What's incredible to me is that people have been sipping from this cup of iniquity for the longest time and suddenly everyone's in an uproar. Do you find that interesting? <laughs> yes, I do. I find that very telling. And uh, the point that, that I feel the Lord had me bringing in that episode that you mentioned 
was the fact that, you know, we, we do have a tendency to single out things that we're comfortable to be upset with, you know? It's the old point one finger forward and, and four more pointing back at me type syndrome. And I really feel that that's where what I refer to be the counterfeit church, that's, that's the constant stance of that situation. And of course, uh, we can be more specific tonight and talk about the United States of America because that ruling that went down in the United States of America. And it's just amazing that those who are calling themselves the church and we are, you know, people, Christians understand to be the church, which of course you've had me on several times talking about, you know, that that's a counterfeit church system. Nonetheless, there are real Christians in that system because they don't know any better. Uh, but regardless, that Christianity, that system of Christianity is very comfortable in deciding when it's convenient to stand up and make a fuss over certain sins or infractions uh, that have to do w with society. Uh, but yet there's an overall blindness and an overall dullness to the whole state of compromise that the supposed church has been in for so long. I mean, for instance, just looking at this situation with the same-sex marriage law, I mean, we knew that this was coming. We knew that this was coming for a long, long time. Uh, but there's a hypocrisy that's so operative in the counterfeit church, and that is that they think that we can pick and choose certain things to intercede for or come against in prayer and God is then for reactionary like man is, and he's going to react to that attitude toward that one thing. But we forget that God sees the grander picture, the bigger picture. He's looking at the heart condition as always. You know, in Jesus' time, the Pharisees and the Sadducees, those that we use, that we kind of laugh at them as kind of um, – cartoon-type characters in the scripture, but I always challenge people to look at them a little closer and see if they don't see themselves in those characters, because there's a lot of similarities to those religious people who were sure that they were God's people and God's leaders of his people in that time when Jesus was there, and yet they were so far off. And they focused on the outside of the cup. Like Jesus always preached about, you know, you're always cleaning the outside of the cup, but you don't focus on the inside. He called them whitewashed gravestones. He said, on the outside, you appear white and, and clean, but underneath is corruption and dead men's bones. And this is what I see a lot in the counterfeit church today. And it's interesting when we come to this issue of sodomy, okay, homosexuality, of course, also embraces lesbianism. But it's interesting that this word gay only came into vogue uh, really at the earliest in the 70s and really kicked into gear in the 80s when the whole big gay push started, especially through the arts, you know, through the MTV culture and all that kind of pop music of the 80s. Okay, but up to that point, you know, you only started to hear the word gay really when the feminist movement started to come out.
that's when you started to hear this word gay. Before that, gay was an innocent word. I mean, Bing Crosby used to sing about being gay in Christmas songs, you know, and he wasn't talking about being a homosexual or a sodomite. It was a, uh, it, it was synonymous with happy. Okay. But they hijacked this word and used it because it's so much less threatening than, for instance, the word that had been used for male homosexuals up to that point, sodomite. Okay, and there were laws against sodomy in most of the states of the United States. You went to jail for the crime of sodomy. They would raid these secret gay bars and take these men to jail, and the charge was sodomy. Well, where does sodomy come from? Well, we know that sodomy comes from, of course, the story in the Bible, in the book of Genesis, about the destruction of Sodom and Gomorrah. Well, why is that important? Why is the story of Sodom and Gomorrah connected to homosexuality? Because we're told in that story, especially it's highlighted when the angels who come in male form, they, they appear as human males, are uh, almost accosted by these perverts in the town of Sodom when they try to take Lot out to get him out of the town before God destroys it with his judgment. And it was well known that sodomy was rampant in that city. It was a big sin in that city. So it came to be associated with homosexuality throughout history. And even up until, as I say, basically the 1960s and early 70s in the United States culture, and perhaps it's the same in Canada, Sheila, uh, these people were referred to as sodomites. But it's interesting that we always associate that with the destruction of Sodom, that sin, homosexuality. And the very fact that they used that term for those offenders, at that time people still saw it as a grievous sin, as a perversion, as a, a blasphemous thing against God, that they still used that term in that way, associating it with this story about Sodom and Gomorrah, whom God destroyed through fire and brimstone, all right? And so we automatically make the assumption or the deduction that Sodom and Gomorrah were destroyed because of homosexuality. But if we really study it out and get into what the Scripture really has to say about it, that's not what the Scripture says at all. And I encourage people, and I'll read it real quick in a couple of versions, to Look at the sins that God says through the prophet Ezekiel were the reason why God destroyed Sodom. Check this out. It's in Ezekiel 16.49. I'm going to read from a couple different versions. New, New International Version says it this way. Now, this was the sin of your sister Sodom. She and her daughters, now listen to this list, were arrogant overfed and unconcerned they did not help the poor and needy new living translation puts it this way sodom's sins were pride gluttony and laziness while the poor and needy suffered outside her door behold english standard version behold this was the guilt of your sister sodom she and her daughters had pride, excess of food, and listen to this language, Sheila, 
and prosperous ease, but did not aid the poor and needy. New American Standard, behold, this was the guilt of your sister Sodom. She and her daughters had arrogance, abundant food, and careless ease, but she did not help the poor and needy. Finally, King James, for all you King Jamesers out there, behold, this was the iniquity of thy sister Sodom, pride, fullness of bread, and abundance of idleness was in her and in her daughters. Neither did she strengthen the hand of the poor and needy. What is the most conspicuous thing to me in that list, Sheila? Where is homosexuality? If With God destroyed Sodom because of homosexuality, wouldn't that be at the top of this list? If homosexuality was a fruit on this bad tree. But these are the roots of that bad tree, according to God. Pride or arrogance, uh, being overfed or, you know, prosperous to the point of conspicuous consumption, not concerned or lazy or undisciplined or self-centered, right? And they didn't care about the poor it's interesting what you're describing there, pride, prosperity, gluttony, arrogance, overfed, unconcerned. That sounds like the mega churches. What are they doing with all these resources coming in by the boatload, this lucre pouring in? Are they feeding the hungry? Yeah, right. Yes, that's exactly it, right? I mean, we are a self-consumed, self-centered people that are totally self-consumed. I mean, let's put this up. Pride is obvious, right? Arrogance. I mean, the arrogance of America. Let's look at the arrogance of American Christians. You know, that, that feel that they are the center of the world. They have the right to believe. Look at some of the doctrines that have come out of this arrogance. Uh, we have all this debate over the pre-tribulation rapture. That is a manifestation of arrogance. It comes from a root of Americans believing that in no way could they ever suffer equally with their other brothers and sisters that are Christians in other lands who have suffered persecution and tribulation for decades, okay, because they're Americans, see? So therefore, God would not, they don't preach it that way. They preach it as to all Christians, but it's coming out of the bastion of American arrogance and pride. It comes from that feeling of we are superior, we are set apart, God would never let this happen to us because we are a godly nation or a Christian nation. We are God's nation, all right? So they, can't, they don't believe that they can suffer. And, the, you know, this patriotism that American Christians are caught up in, you know, where they uh, idolize, and we've talked about it many times on your program, that yeah. patriotism is idolatry. All right, that's also a manifestation of pride and arrogance that because I'm in this America, this United States of America has been the richest land in the world for some time and the most powerful militarily and most influential socially and so on. We are a cut above everyone else. Everyone wants to be like us. Arrogance. See? And also this uh, obsession with pleasure, 
this obsession with leisure. I'm not even getting into perversion now. I'm not even talking about, you know, the, the nasty stuff that, that you started to show off about homosexuality and all this stuff. But why don't we look at this, this obsession with pleasure, prosperous ease, as one of the versions puts it here, unconcerned, total, that's another way of saying totally self-absorbed. We have a Christianity and a counterfeit church where the teachings are based primarily if not completely, on the self. It's all about me. I'm all that matters. God's concerned about me. God's here to help me, to prosper me, to bless me, and so on and so forth. This is absolute arrogance. And the, the obsession with pleasure and leisure, yeah, and entertainment, not to mention how morally filthy and perverse this entertainment has gotten even for so-called Christians and how perverse it's even gotten within the supposed church walls, but it's an obsession with idolatry. Okay. And this idolatry reigns. Okay. I mentioned on my show tonight, you know, another thing is a four letter word. We're so concerned about a lot of other four letter words that you can't say, but there's a four letter word word of idolatry that the Christians are totally caught up with it. That's all that it's about. And that's spelled N-E-W-S. This news obsession with, with Christians. It's all about the news, the news, the news. They're following the world. And even their Christian stance and their Christian apology, as we call it in theological language, in other words, making an argument for Christianity, comes as a reaction to the news, what's going on in the world. Christians are so obsessed with the world, so caught up in the world, so embroiled in the world, and have compromised with the world so much. Now, it was okay, not that it was truly okay, but in their minds it was okay to kind of compromise when it came to the money issue compromise when it came to free sex movement and so forth fornication adultery a compromise with abortion compromise many of these other things they've been compromised with only a tiny little fragment of the church rose up and complained about these things they've compromised with the wicked militant demonic agenda of the the American regime and military and so on and so forth and continue to lift up this idolatrous murderous machine as something that God is controlling and God is motivating I mean the most patriotic military minded people are found in the Republican right uh, sector of what's supposed to be the Church of Jesus Christ. Meanwhile, it's been proven since the time of Vietnam at least, that I'll only go back as far as Vietnam, that these were unjust, murderous, agenda-driven wars by wicked Satanists who wanted to steal land, steal oil, steal natural resources, steal uh, natural assets, gold, silver, whatever. And also play power politic games by setting up puppet dictators 
and terrorists in, in different parts of the world to take control of the drug trafficking trade, for instance, in Afghanistan. We know that Iraq was a big circus and a big drama that was all about stealing that oil and having that power center in the, in the middle of, of, of the, the Middle East there, all right? All of this, but Christian people, for instance— Worshipping supposedly Jesus in their churches with the Christian flag, which stands for the Constantinian uh, Christian Empire on earth on one side of the pulpit, and the American flag on the other side of the pulpit, sending their precious young sons and daughters, 17, 18, 19, 20 years old, off into these deserts to be maimed, to be psychologically destroyed, yeah, where they come back, even if they don't come back physically uh, in pieces, they come back psychologically and spiritually in pieces, if not killed or turned into murderous machines themselves for this satanic military that's completely operating under demonic influence and power anymore, all right? So Christians are able to do these things hold these things up as righteous, as good, as holy, and then turn around because now the line is the line in the sand has come in too far. Now we're on this issue of what marriage really is. But how is that even really, let's face it, a surprise to anyone? They've been compromising here and there. They've been one foot in the world, one foot in the things of God, loosey-goosey. Where was all this frenzy, Danny, when abortion was legalized or they took prayer out of school or the government started dictating what the church could and couldn't do? I mean, decades of compromise and playing with the world and then suddenly people are all in an uproar and everybody loses their mind? I mean, that's, that's pretty hypocritical, isn't it? Of course it's hypocritical, and that's because it treads on another idolatry that the counterfeit church is practicing, and that is the worship of its way of life, okay, republicanism, democracy, and also the idolatry of family. See, because now this has come into redefining the family. But look at the hypocrisy of the family that's been going on in the churches for so many years. The counterfeit church has split the family up. Just like the world has split the family up, the counterfeit church has split the family up. Think about it for a minute. You talked about these mega churches and, and so on. When these families go to church, what happens? The parents go into their, you know, um, fantasy world worship service with their, uh, their cute little pastor who comes out with his life coaching and his anecdotes and his you know, lame comedy, and then mixes a few uh, biblical allusions or whatever in at, at the best, all right? While the kids go to youth group, all right, the children go to, to a nursery, the family's all split up even in, in what's supposed to be the body of Christ. And when they, they come into the building as a, looking like a family, they leave the building looking like a family. When they go home, I mean, I myself was a latchkey kid of supposed Christian parents, okay, left to myself with the TV really to raise me. All right. In this day and age now, it's the Internet and the video games that raise kids. But in my day, it was the television left to myself, 
while my parents, as supposed Christians, ran after the American dream. You know, everything was two, Sheila, two cars, two bank accounts, two, you know, two car garage. Everything was twos. Everything was split. Right. And then the children were split from the split parents. So there was no godly leadership in the home at that point. And now we're totally shocked when Satan comes in and says, hey, well, you guys have let this go to the degree to the degree where I can redefine it. The world comes in and says, we're just going to redefine it now. You guys have have destroyed it anyway. We'll come in and redefine it anyway. Secondly, as I've been preaching very strongly recently, Jesus did not preach a family friendly gospel. He let us know that as true Christians, more than likely our families would turn against us and that families would be divided. The famous scripture that people like to quote, but I don't think they really understand, where Jesus said, don't think that I've come to send peace, but a sword to divide a man from his son, a mother from her daughter, to those of your own household or your families will become your enemies. Daughters will turn up mother to be killed, father, son, so on and so forth. See, so the gospel itself is not a family-oriented message. I know that sounds crazy to most Christians listening to me right now because you have to understand the motivation of the counterfeit church, which is to keep generations of families coming to the church to support the church financially. So if you preach a message that that lets people know, listen, families are going to be divided over this, marriages are going to be divided over this, uh, children and parents are going to be divided over this, extended families going to be divided over this, this is not um, beneficial for the clergy who want to keep that building that they call the church falsely filled with people coming every week giving money. But the true gospel, the true gospel that Jesus gave us, tells us clearly that if we truly decide to follow him, that we are going to have to leave everything and everyone that we've known to be part of our support system behind. See? So now that sword that Jesus talked about, just like I talk about that Jesus is the one who really sent uh, Titus, the Roman governor, to destroy the temple back in 70 AD. The Messiah sent him to do that because the Jews were apostates who continued to practice a false religion in the name of the true God. Well, the same thing is going on here. Jesus is allowing these aggressive agendas of hell to, to encroach upon the supposed Christian community to bring that sword to divide because they have lukewarmly, Laodiceanly, if that's a word, piled everything together in a nice compromised, you know, like you said, loosey-goosey, I call it vanilla, system that has compromised with the world to such a degree that they can't tell the difference anymore. But now here, of course, the difference can be told. Now we come to the definition of this institution that we Christians hold in such high regard, marriage. And now the line has been stepped over. But the problem is you've already compromised with the world 
all this time. Let's get deeper. What is this really about uh, logistically? Okay, let's, let's put aside the spiritual and moral part of it for a second. Logistically, this is an act of the civil state, right? The civil state has immorally, in our opinion, unjustly perhaps in our opinion, encroached upon the personal rights and beliefs of many moral people by instituting through judicial law, totally out of order according to the fake uh, understanding that we still the country still run by the Constitution, okay, and not by martial law and not by a presidential decree, all right? They've decided to impose this upon the servants of the state. Now, I say that on purpose, the servants of the state. Those who call themselves reverends, call themselves ministers, those who would claim in charismatic and more modern streams, they would call themselves fivefold ministers, you know, whatever, mostly pastors, right? Pastors of these church houses that they call the church. These are civil servants of the state by definition. Where does a pastor get his ordination? Where, Because we're dealing now with the institution of marriage, the ceremony of marriage. These Christians are all up in arms because they are going to be forced now to perform the ceremony of marriage for same-sex couples. Well, the question goes back further than that. The question is, why are you serving the state to begin with? Right. Why are you a civil servant of the state to begin with? Where do we see a precedent in Scripture? Now, I'm not talking about the Old Testament and the, the uh, house of Israel because that was God's people, okay, set apart. We don't see that in the New Testament, do we? So these people and their shepherds, their pastors, right, their CEOs of their institution or their corporations called churches, that's what they are, nonprofit organizations, 501c3 organizations, are all up in arms because now they have to perform the same ceremony that they've been performing for the state in a way they don't agree with. But they were fine to perform the ceremony for the state when they were in agreement with it. The question is, why were, are they servants of the state to begin with? If you want to be ordained as a reverend or a minister or whatever and be recognized by the state to be able to perform marriages, to be able to officiate funerals, so you can sign off on those rituals of the state, you have to be ordained by the state. You have to be recognized by the state. Okay, the 501c3 designation yeah. that churches receive, tax exempt, so these prosperity thieves can rake in millions upon millions every weekend with their phony books and not even have to pay taxes on them while they pump out heresy and apostasy. They don't even have to pay taxes on they're servants of the state. In order to have that tax-exempt status, they have to serve the state. A nonprofit corporation or organization belongs to the community, belongs to the state. It is not independent of the state. 
This is where they, you know, a lot of Christians don't understand that. They think because they're a nonprofit corporation as a church that they are separated from the world or separated from the state. No, they are not. There are a lot of wicked foundations of the Illuminists and the Satanists, okay, that are 501c3 tax exempt that are total satanic servants of the wicked state. Well, these churches, all right, the counterfeit church system, are servants of the state. So when, when a minister performs a regular heterosexual marriage, he is performing, okay, on the legal side of the coin, he is performing a function of the state. He is a servant of the state. Let's get deeper. When these right-wing Republican moral majority people set up voting booths out in the lobbies in their churches next November to try to get the abomination of desolation out of office and get Jeb fool the people uh, or, or whoever. Jeb, I mean, anyone who's named Jeb. Wasn't Jeb one of the hillbillies? <laughs> I think that was Jed with a D, but Jeb Clamp, it sounds like maybe he was a cousin. <laughs> try to get Jeb, the uh, demonic monarchy of the Bush dynasty, into office or, you know, Hillary abomination in there, whoever they want to get in there, all right? They're going to set up booze out. Now, once again, they bring their voting block to the state. They officiate registering people to vote, right, and getting people to take part in the state's business. So once again, they are servants of the state. So here's the, here's the real line, Sheila. The, the line that these people are drawing, these supposed Christians and Christian leaders are drawing, they're deciding now to draw the line at homosexuality. They're willing to go to jail. They ain't going to stand for this homosexuality. They ain't going to do that. But they were willing to do everything else up to that point. And they're willing to do more as long as it doesn't, you know, it doesn't doesn't shake them. It doesn't mess up their world. But now this is encroaching upon their world bringing division into their congregations and forcing them to do to perform a truly immoral ceremony or rite of the state but they're hypocrites if they deny to do that because they've been doing these rites of the state up until now it's just that now it doesn't work. And when they come in you know, a couple of years, Sheila, and people start marrying their dogs and cats, and they start marrying children, right? And, and the state comes and says to the ministers that they have to perform that. They're going to be up against that same wall again. But the thing is, the compromise was made a long, long time ago. And this comes down to the root of what I'm always teaching, which is that the true church of Jesus Christ, the ecclesia, which means the gathering together of the called out ones, the assembly of those called out of the world system and into the mystical body of Christ, an invisible nation, a spiritual nation of pilgrims, strangers, exiles, and aliens that are temporarily sojourning on this earth but don't belong to it. We are strangers. These are concerned citizens, right, that are rising up. These clergy and their flocks are rising up of con as concerned citizens, as conscientious objectors, as citizens. Citizens of what? 
citizens of the civil state of the United States of America. They're siding with earthly citizenship. Yet the Bible that they wave in front of the homosexual when they're condemning him, that his, his sin is wrong, the same Bible that they're waving tells them that they are citizens of the New Jerusalem, the mother of us all. Read the book of Hebrews. Read the letter to the Galatians. Okay? Peter tells us in his letter that we are a holy nation a royal priesthood, a peculiar people set apart for him, brought out of the darkness of this world system and into the marvelous light of the Lord Jesus Christ. Yet, Christians today and their leaders, they're not up in arms about that citizenship. They're up in arms about violations against their antichrist, false prophet, harlot, beast, Mystery Babylon citizenship that they signed up for a long time ago to perform the rights of the state, and now they're complaining. I brought this out in my American Dream book that I released in 98, and I warned the United States of America back then about their mixture of patriotism and Christianity. When the moral majority and the, and the right-wing Republican religious right were currying for favors with the Republican Party, you know? They started with Reagan, moved on to Bush, and so on. All right? And I told them, yes, you can get them to, to stand up and, you know, voice your pet peeves, which are legitimate. Some of them are. The prayer in school thing is a little lame. I'm just going to be honest. Big deal. So they pray in school. That's not going to change the world. Okay, but the abortion thing, that, that, that was a literal wicked sin that God was very angry about. So they got these politicians to stand up and speak against that. But I told them, they're going to come to collect. They're going to say, okay, Pharisees and Sadducees, okay, members of the Sanhedrin, you Essenes and Zealots. And, and we also pushed your NRA. Remember that the Zealots, they love their NRA, and they got the Republican Party to fight for their rights to carry weapons. So they got the Republicans to back all that stuff up. Well, I told them the Republicans are going to come back around and they're going to say to you, okay, now it's time for you to back us up. And what did they have to back the Republicans up on? That wonderful little circus of a war that went on in the Middle East when George W. came into power, right? So now they were, they were trapped because they had as civil servants of the state, they had drunken from that breast, and now Mama was saying, okay, now it's time for you to serve me. Back us up as we go murder Muslims unjustly and steal their oil and destroy their country and take all their gold and silver and use their land as the base for all of our future treachery. It's payback time. So here we have it again now. And, and I really want the counterfeit church to hear me on this. Okay? You wanted Father State and Mother Whore to sponsor your 501c tax exemption so you could sell your psychobabble, fake Christian life coaching, sissy stuff 
to a bunch of naive, gullible, wannabe Christians who don't know the word because you won't preach it to them. Okay, the state helped you with that. You wanted the state to let you take out equity loans and different things against your temples, your buildings that you built in the name of the Lord and call churches. The state helps you with that. Okay, you wanted to be recognized by the state and draw on all the benefits that the state wants to give religious organizations. Okay, good. Now the state says, all right, now it's time for you to play ball with us. You're going to marry faggots now. You're going to marry lesbians now. And maybe in the the decade of the 20s, of the 2000s, you're going to marry people with dogs and people with underage children because you owe us now. You are our servant. My name is Constantine, and your name is the Christian Empire on Earth. And you will now, clergy, follow your true master, Caesar. I want to remind the Christian leaders out there of what the Pharisees and the Sadducees said when Pilate said, but here is your king, the king of the Jews. What was their reply, Sheila? King? What king? Caesar's our king. That's right. See, when it counted, when it came down to losing favor with the state, losing benefits, losing power and influence, and being taken care of, they all of a sudden... You know how many times those Pharisees and Sadducees and the other parties, the Essenes and Zealots and the rest of them, cursed the name of Caesar? Yeah. How they vilified Caesar and associated him with the devil himself. But yet, when it was time to get what they wanted, to get rid of the true Messiah, all of a sudden, we have no king but Caesar. Yeah, well, the same stuff is going on today, Sheila. The same stuff. You said we have no king but Caesar. You wanted all these benefits. You wanted to live with the luxuries of the Roman Empire. All right? You sit in front of the Roman Colosseum every night, whether it be the internet or the TV screen, and watch demons and watch men kill themselves and rape women and rape kids and and have all these horrid things glorified okay you attend the roman amphitheater don't you and you even make a whitewashed version of it in your own little roman amphitheater your own little mausoleum called the church that you've built in the image of the beast and the image of the state and now you want to complain and you pretend to be you know, you're the bishop, you're the president, you're the CEO of your little flock of Democratic followers, just like the abomination of desolation is the head of his bigger flock of followers who follow him in part of your faith, American Christians, because after all, you have a mixed drink and a mingled cocktail, patriotism, absolute blatant idolatry and an affront to the living God. You put this God before him, this golden calf. You've lift up this golden calf of American patriotism and say, we worship Jehovah with this. This is the God who led us out of Egypt, out from under Satan 
and the world system and all the wickedness of the demons. This democracy, this republicanism, this American patriotism, you bow to that whore with her burning fire in her hand over there in the Hudson River, Semiramis, Diana, Artemis, Esther, Ishtar, and you say that that's part of your Christianity. You wave that pagan flag that was created by Rosicrucians and Freemasons and Illuminists and Satanists and put it on the pulpit with the Constantinian flag, the other SOB who faked it till he made it and called what he created in my name a church and it was in a blasphemy and an apostasy and, and, and an abomination to me and you put it up in your churches and you put your hand over your heart because that's where your heart is in allegiance to that nonsense but you're not in allegiance to me says the Lord and after all that now I should stand up from my throne because the queers are having parades. All of a sudden, I should be angry about that now. And I should stand up with you when they can point, those sissies can point and say, but what about your love of money? What about your love of pleasure and ease and leisure? What about the way you've prostituted your children out to the world and don't care about their souls? What about sending them off? In, into foreign lands to be killed in the military. What about stealing from the people through this tax-exempt game you're playing? What about this? What about that? What about the other? Well, and I think it's important we clarify too, Danny. Danny and I are not, and I repeat this, not saying we support the same-sex ruling. Not at all. In fact, it's the most vile, disgusting filth. And these people are evil, filthy, demonic, people pushing their demonic agendas and it's not enough just to have a ruling they want it imposed they want it celebrated they want it entrenched and embraced and they really want to get rid of those pesky christians with their moral expectations and their they're not politically correct they're not coexisting they're just a bunch of intolerant bigot homophobes but here's the here's the key point danny i think the issue is again as you've said People have called themselves servants of the state for a long, long time, and now Satan's CEO amped things up a little bit, but suddenly people just don't want to go along for that ride, but they wanted their nice little state-given tax exemptions on everything. You know, they wanted to go on this ride for decades and decades, but now when their churches are maybe going to be padlocked, suddenly there's a problem, isn't there? That's exactly it. But I'm going to ask you this. Is Satan padlocking their churches? I actually tend to lean on God is getting fed up with it. Well, again, what I told you, the Messiah sent the Roman governor. Remember, and I stress this to people over and over, because I don't think people get it. People think the Bible was written to heathen, okay? But the scriptures were not written to people who don't belong to God or claim to belong to God. The scriptures were written to those who claim to belong to God. So keep pointing this book out at the heathen and, and beating them up with it. But God wrote that book to you, friend. He's asking you the question. So just as Jesus sent the Roman general, later to become Emperor Titus, to raise the, the Jewish temple that was practicing a counterfeit, 
uh, worship of God, and God wanted to put that to an end so that the true Christianity could flourish and prosper. Is God doing, because you, you know, you Americans, you want to compare yourselves with the Jews so much all the time, you American right-wing Christians. So let's go ahead and make that comparison. All right. So just as the apostate Jews of 70 AD had their false idolatrous temple and blasphemous worship, which did not recognize the sacrifice of Christ anymore, raised to the ground. Could it be the same thing that's going on now here? Is it Satan padlocking your churches, really? Or has God sent them strong delusion that they should believe a lie because they did not obey the truth of the gospel? I always bring this out. We're so focused on Satan, 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 and the wicked people that serve Satan doing all these wicked things. And we're talking about this is the end days. We're maybe going into the tribulation. But what does the scripture say about that? Second Thessalonians chapter 2. It says that God sends them strong delusion that they should believe a lie because they did not obey the truth of the gospel. So, you know, even Satan, the Antichrist, the false prophet, and all these others underneath them, going forth with this agenda, God has sent the strong delusion. Romans 1 tells us that because they knew about God and God had made himself clear and manifest all without argument through his creation and everything else, they were without excuse, but they chose to hold the truth and unrighteousness and they did not acknowledge God and worship him. Therefore, God has turned them over. Let me repeat, God has turned them over to a reprobate mind to practice those things which are unseemly. What are some of those things? A long list, but he starts it off and highlights a particular symptom of God's judgment having already occurred. And I want the Christians to hear that. God's judgment having already occurred, one of the major symptoms was man lying with man, doing that which is unseemly. Woman lying with woman, doing that which is unseemly. And they received the recompense for that in their personalities and in their bodies. And woe to them who do that. And the scripture says also, and I want these mamby-pamby Christians out here, and you listen to me, you Episcopalians in particular, who just voted with the world directly as well to, to side with this thing, and the rest of you who are thinking about doing it. The end of Romans 1 says this, not only those who practice these things will receive God's bitter judgment, but those who take pleasure in them that do them. So if you're supporting this stuff, phony Christian, because you want the Constantinian system to continue to give you its favors, you will receive the same judgment, if not worse, than these deviants that we're talking about here. And this is the point, Sheila. Everyone's thinking of judgment as this cataclysmic, you know, apocalyptic book of revelation type thing. And that's all that people understand as judgment. Why do they only understand that as judgment? Because they don't read the Bible. They watch movies. 
And in movies, that's the only form, that's what the world thinks the only form of judgment is, you know, planetary destruction, the world coming to an end, so to speak, all right? But the scripture tells us something different. The scripture tells us that God, the, the fact that we have thousands, if not millions of these deviants, not only with the homosexual issue, but uh, so many other perverse things and wicked things, acting out without any fear of God, without any sense whatsoever, I mean like crazy people, is evidence that God has already released that judgment that he talks about in Romans 1. He says, you want to say that you came from a monkey? Okay, you want to say that you came from a monkey? Then I'll turn you over to a monkey. It's, it's very conspicuous, Sheila, that the AIDS virus is said to have come from a monkey. Isn't it interesting that God says, okay, you want to say you came from a monkey with your demonic doctrine of evolution? I'll turn you over to monkeys. And through that, you will reap, as the scripture says in Romans 1, that recompense in your personality. You're going to be out there acting like a, an ugly girl. I mean, it, it's just disgusting to look at these pictures of these parades. I mean, honestly, Sheila, you know, and even the whole Bruce Jenner thing. But I mean, some of these ugly beasts that are out there with beards and so on and so forth. I mean, ugly. All right. So God says, all right, I'll turn you over to that. You want to preach that you came from a monkey and instead of from me, a loving creator who created you with compassion and love, loving care and, and design and genius and so on and so forth. So this is what we have to understand. This is not now. Now the judgment's going to come and these, these people are out in the streets mocking God, like the scripture says they will do, saying, where's the sign of his coming? Mockers and scoffers. Where's the sign of his coming? I'm out here acting like this, doing all this, and I'm not being struck down by a bolt of lightning. Well, you retard. The fact that you're out there doing that shows that God sent the bolt of lightning. You just don't remember it because it fried your memory cells. Yeah. And this is what we have to understand. That, you know, everyone's waiting on this impending judgment. The judgment came already quite a long time ago. And the same for the church, Sheila. And I've got a newsflash for folks. The true ecclesia, the called out ones, they're going underground. That's what's happening. And I wonder, Danny, do you think the name it and claim it will be a popular hit with the underground church when they're deep out in the middle of the forest trying to be hidden? <laughs> That's a good question. I wonder. I wonder if, if that message will go over when they're you know afraid to even have a Bible in their hand and they're hiding in the forest or in someone's basement or if that's what people are going to need to hear about their best life now or the hundredfold return. The thing is, Sheila, the real gospel works in any situation at any time in any point of history in any culture in any language if your gospel doesn't work when you take it to the christians in a muslim land it's not the real gospel if your gospel doesn't work for the underground church in china it's not the real gospel and like you've just said it's imminent that the true believers are going to have to go underground if they do not 
succumb to the state church and go according to what the state church command. When I say the state church, many of you get a, you know, this vision of like Russian Orthodox or the Roman Catholic Church in Italy or no, no, no. I'm talking about your hip t-shirt gene fest contemporary seeker friendly state churches. Your charismatic state churches, your Pentecostal state churches, when the true believers have to go underground. No, I don't think, you know, I don't know if Joel Osteen will be making the rounds. I don't know. And I'm going to tell you something else. These guys, they think, Sheila, that they're going to escape the wrath of Satan. And that's another thing with these guys, you know, still with this tired argument about we're not appointed to wrath. That's not what God's talking about. But I'm going to tell you something this. They think that they're going to escape the wrath of these demon aberrations, these Nephilim and fallen angels when they're thrown to the earth, right? Satan comes down with much fury for he knows that his time is short. They think they're going to escape the FEMA camps and the and the beheadings and the guillotine, all of that stuff because they've compromised with the state. You go and you check it out over there in Syria, over there in other places where they've been slaughtering Christians. Have they distinguished, Sheila, between people that are doctrinally correct or really serious about the Lord or which denomination it is? Or have they just come in, these Muslim beasts, and said, well, it says Christian, kill, right? And I got news for these homosexuals, too. I, I challenge them to study the history of the Nazi regime because, yes, the, the, the supposed Jews were given stars of David to wear, but the homosexuals were given pink cubes to wear when they were put into the concentration camp. So, like Satan does with all his servants, he enjoys using you, just like the rock stars and the movie stars who make their 10-year contracts or their 20-year contracts and sell their soul to Satan, and Satan comes for payday. I'm telling these people who think that they're going to be used by Satan and, and they're never going to endure any type of problems of wrath. Satan turned on those people during the Nazi Holocaust as well. It wasn't just Jews in the concentration camp. Satan doesn't play fair, people. And I'm going to tell you, you, peop you churches out there and you clergy out there who want to take the route of the confessing church uh, in Germany, who sided with the Nazi regime, who turned on their own people and became snitches for the Nazis, served the Nazis, even helped the Nazis torture their own people and thought that they were going to gain favor or get freedom from that. And the Nazi uh, concentration camp leader turned around and shot them in the head first. Absolutely. Well, and that's the bottom line, Danny, is we need to be in a relationship with the only one here that can give us the victory. And that's really important. And folks, if you have not heard Danny's the Person of the Holy Spirit series teaching. You need to go back and listen to that podcast on his blog talk show. Danny, thank you so much for weighing in on this topic. And again, thank you for this incredible Holy Spirit series. Just incredible information. Thank you very much, Sheila. It was great to be with you as always. God bless you. Thanks, Danny. Folks, that was Dr. Danny Morano. His information is linked there on the July 6th bio. 
You can find it there at weekendvigilante.com. Tomorrow, I have a man that I've been trying to get on the program for a while. I really admire his work. It's Dr. Calvin Beisner. That's going to be a terrific show. Thank you so much for tuning into the broadcast tonight, folks. Good night and God bless.